John Steinbaugh is a former special operations medic who served over 20 years in the Army. He knows how to stop bleeding on the battlefield. During more than a dozen deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan, Steinbaugh tended to his fellow soldiers, often packing deep wounds with gauze. The bandaging process, however, takes time and requires specialized training, two factors that led the Army to seek proposals for a faster, even instant, treatment method. The major challenge for medics on the battlefield is uh, speed of treatment. This is John Steinbaugh. Somebody gets wounded on the battlefield, you know, unless it's something that is instantly, you could put a tourniquet on and the bleeding stops. It requires a medic to open up a gauze type dressing, pack it with his fingers into the wound and uh, apply direct pressure for you know, some of the instructions on some bandage are for three to five minutes of direct pressure just to get the the bandage or the chemicals that are in the bandage that have to activate and then help stop the bleeding. And for a medic on the battlefield or a soldier on the battlefield, three to five minutes can be an eternity uh, before you can actually package that casualty up and move him, you know, and, you know to control the bleeding, you know, and that long of a time frame, you know, is not desirable. So, you know, medics would come back and go, we need something faster. We need something instant. You know, you just put it in, fire and forget, the bleeding stops. Guys would describe it as, we need fix a flat, but for bleeding. Turns out what they needed were sponges. Lots of little ones, in fact. A kitchen sponge may not seem like the most natural source of inspiration, but before synthetic sponges, there were natural sea sponges which have played an important role in society for centuries, since the ancient Egyptians and Greeks. Sea sponge diving was an Olympic Greek sport. The sponge was an almost sacred part of the Egyptians' embalming process. The sponge was soaked in oils and fragrances to help perfume and preserve the body for burial. Which is not to give any less credit to today's kitchen sponges. Synthetic sponges were only possible after the invention of polyester in the 40s, and the accidental manufacturing of polyurethane foam in the 50s. At the time, the airy material was considered defective. Today's sponges are anything but. And the need to absorb and contain fluids exists in places beyond just your kitchen sink. So, here's an idea. Sponges. After a disaster like the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill on the Gulf Coast, what if a giant sponge could clean up the area and the wildlife around it? What if a bunch of tiny sponges could quickly save gunshot victims? In this episode, we look at how researchers are doing just that, and expanding the sponge concept to entire cities. So, back to John Steinbaugh. He heard the message from his fellow military medics. They needed Fix-A-Flat, but for bleeding. You may be familiar with Fix-A-Flat, a tire sealant in a can invented in the 70s. As a temporary fix, a driver with a flat uses the product to inject liquid and additional air into the leak. Once inside the tire, the substance hardens and covers up the hole. To find a foam similar to the kind used to seal up tires, the military turned to Steinbaugh's Oregon-based company, RevMedics. They created the Fix-A-Flat-like device known as Xstat. With a syringe-like applicator, the Xstat tool injects small, rapidly expanding sponges into an injury like a deep cut or gunshot wound. Steinbaugh currently works as a liaison with the military, incorporating their feedback into new products like Xstat a device that, at least on the surface, appears to have a simplicity not unlike the sponge on your counter. Picture, if you would, uh, if you were to go down to Williams-Sonoma or some place that sells 
you know, your four by six inch kitchen sponge that you would take to your sink and you run it under water and upon contact with water, it expands to, you know, two, two and a half inches thick. So if you were to take that kitchen sponge, which is compressed already, uh, punch out the sponges into little discs. So take that whole sponge and punch it up into little pieces. Uh, those sponges are still going to expand when you run them underwater. They're just going to be a whole bunch of little pieces. But if you take all those little pieces when they're still compressed and you put it in an applicator, uh, much like a picture, like a, a 60 CC medical syringe where, you know, with a big opening in the front, when you inject all those sponges inside of a, a gunshot wound, when they make contact with the blood, they still want to expand just like it's water. If a soldier gets shot, a medic or a fellow soldier can then pull out that applicator, stick it into the wound cavity as close to the source of bleeding as possible, inject the sponges, and pull out the empty applicator. The sponges, made from the same regenerated cellulose as standard kitchen sponges, will expand over the next 20 to 30 seconds as they absorb blood and create more pressure inside that wound. They create pressure that is a little higher than your arterial, normal arterial pressure. So they create enough pressure in the wound to tampen off the bleeding. You know, if you were to, if you were to take your, your kitchen sponge, your four by six inch kitchen sponge, you expanded it. If you then try at your sink to like then wring that sponge out and squeeze it down into the size of like a tennis ball, that pressure you would feel against your hands like that is the same pressure it would be exerting inside the wound cavity. And that pressure is enough to stop bleeding. You know, much like if you, you know, cut your arm or your hand, you put one finger on and apply pressure. That's what those little individual sponges are doing inside the wound cavity, except you have a hundred little fingers applying pressure to the sides of the, the the walls of the cavity and pushing against any vessels that are injured. Right around 2008, the military sought proposals for better ways to control hemorrhaging. A contract was awarded to Oregon Biomedical Engineering Institute. The institute, which would later become RevMedics, already had a summer program in place where students from Claremont, California's Harvey Mudd College would collaborate on projects. One of the students at Harvey Mudd had an idea of a toy he had when he was a kid. You know, you drop the little foamy thing in the water and, it, you know, the sponge and it turns into a dinosaur or a giraffe or an alligator. That idea from, from Harvey Mudd as soon as our engineers up here heard it, that's where the idea came from. Like, oh my God, let's go to William Sonoma and buy a bunch of sponges and we'll punch them out. We'll go buy some, you know, one centimeter punches at Home Depot and we'll punch out a whole bunch of little discs and we'll throw them in a syringe and we'll give it a try. The engineers did just that. They went down, bought some sponges. They went to Home Depot and they bought a bunch of punches and hammers and you know, came back to the lab, bought a case of 60 cc syringes and, and cut the tips off them so they could load the, you know, the sponges in them and, and deploy them out the end. They tried it out and everybody's jaws just dropped because the bleeding just stopped. If injecting the sponges and pulling out the applicator seems easy enough, it's because that just might be the case, according to Steinbaugh. I actually got to try the product on some bleeding. I injected it and I was like, is that it? They're like, yeah, you're done. It, that, that's how it works. You just put it in and the bleeding stops. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Packing a deep wound is what John calls a perishable skill. You're not just wrapping a bandage around an arm. You have to be good at it. 
You have to know anatomy. You have to know how to pack the gauze. You have to get it to the point of bleeding and apply pressure to it. You need to pack the wound space completely, but not too tightly. You need to guide the packing gently into small areas. A typical person off the street, even a law enforcement officer, likely doesn't have the specialized skills required to pack and treat a wound of this type. That's the beauty of XStat. All you have to do is get the injector in the wound and depress the handle. The sponges do all the complicated work for you. They expand and, and fill the cavity without any thought process. The sponges will move and wiggle their way into every nook and cranny of a jagged wound and apply pressure with no training. And given the gun violence that exists in the United States, in schools, movie theaters, and other public places, Steinbaugh has considered XStat's role increasing beyond the battlefield. You know, we're getting a lot more emails from school districts or, or public places like movie theaters or malls, people that are, you know, there's a whole campaign called Stop the Bleed. Uh, it's a national program. You know, it's, it's an awareness program and it's a uh, Stop the Bleed. It's actually, they, you know, they teach classes to the community on how to stop bleeding in case something bad happens from tourniquet use to packing wounds. So we're getting a lot more emails from, you know, these school districts and, and, and communities inquiring about our product. Hey, we're building kits for our mall or our movie theater or, you know, our high school wants to buy a medical kit for every classroom, you know, so they reach out to us about our product. So in that regard, we've, we've seen, you know, we've taken a focus that has been 100% military and then, you know, hospital, ER, paramedic level uh, focus of where our products should be used. And it has us thinking a little differently, like, okay, uh, how about just the regular civilian community? You know, we would want this to be the go-to product for anybody that needs to stop bleeding. Um because it's that simple. With all the comparisons to a regular sponge, you'd think, looking at the tiny sponges in the XStat device, that they're just that, sponges. That they should be super easy and super cheap to produce, right? In fact, creating the XStat sponge is relatively complex. Almost all the sponges in the world have a chemical in them. That, you know, there's a reason your sponge doesn't get moldy when you leave it on your sink for a month and it's damp. It's because it's, you know, all the sponge in the world is full of very toxic uh, chemicals to kill mold. The XStat sponges can't contain these chemicals. They have to be compatible with the body. On top of that, each sponge requires a radio-opaque marker so that the sponges can be seen with an x-ray and then eventually be removed, much like how the gauze from packing a wound would have to be taken out. So some of those processes, you know, keep the, you know, keep the device a little more expensive that then the average person on the street, when they look at it, goes, it's just a syringe full of sponge. So, as you can tell from the XStat device, sponges are deceptively complicated. If you take a closer look at a piece of polyurethane sponge, you'll find a porous microstructure. Certain versions of polyurethane foam are roughly 95% air, the complexity lies in how to fill up the empty space. Researchers from the Department of Energy's Argonne National Laboratory, located outside of Chicago, are going far beyond what's used to manufacture a common sponge 
to create a new way of stopping the spread of oil spills, a seat cushion-sized foam block called the oleo sponge. Funded originally by the U.S. Coast Guard, the oleo material can be wrung out and used again and again. The sponge looks like uh, any type of, uh, uh, you know, just by your eyes, it looks like a, a handheld kitchen sponge. This is Ed Barry, a former postdoc researcher. In the case of oleo sponge, we're able to fill it up because you modify the surface, the chemistry associated with and oil basically just slides in it. You make it and you render it uh, oleophilic or oil-loving. So you're now able to, to actually fill all of this volume up with, uh, with oil. Working with his teammates, Seth Darling and Jeff Elam, Ed did a lot of odd jobs and grunt work to test the oil sponge, including the acquisition of some unusual equipment. You know, in the, the process of making this project for the Coast Guard, uh, we had to go from the laboratory scale up to a uh, much larger length scale. So we needed some sort of intermediate sort of test case, I guess you could say. Uh, and one of the things that turned out to be, I forget where I was driving, but it was behind a, a sort of, I guess you'd call it a party van, uh, but they had one of those dunk tanks that you use at picnics where you throw, I don't know, a baseball and try to dunk someone off the tank. Uh, and at that point, it became clear that that was this almost ideal tank for us because it has this window that you can see through. Uh, and so if we're trying to absorb oil below the surface of water, we'd like to actually be able to visualize it. Uh, anyway, so the idea was that, of course, we would just try to get this. And then getting that cleared through sort of uh, uh, our national lab, Argonne uh, Federal sort of standards, uh, was actually quite difficult. And uh, it took a couple phone calls and a, a bit of explanation as to why we were trying to actually purchase a dunk tank. The dunk tank offered that intermediate test environment for the oleo sponge, one that set the stage for an even bigger dunk tank. In an early 2017 demonstration, the team traveled to an energy test facility in New Jersey known as OMSET. With the help of the agency's giant seawater tank, the team's oleo sponge successfully collected diesel and crude oil from both below and on the surface of the water. Okay, so here's a quick idea of how it works. Using a technique called sequential infiltration synthesis, the lab researchers developed a unique structure, chemically engineered to grab oil molecules from water. The method creates a metal oxide coating on the foam and the infused metallic atoms serve as a kind of glue for the oil-loving or oleophilic molecules. If you take a glass of water or something, pour oil in it, uh, oil does not separate. It's not in an environment that it likes to be, so there's a certain uh, uh, there's a surface tension associated with it. But oil will always like to be around oil, uh, especially in, in, in a water-based environment. So what you're able to do is take a molecule that kind of looks like oil, and chemically uh, uh, graft it or just uh, tether it, put it onto the surface. And so in the absence of doing this uh, SIS treatment, sequential infiltration synthesis, you could not modify the chemistry of the foam in the way that we do. And so this SIS is really the first step in getting a suitable uh, binding site or uh, covering a coating to these polymeric strands on your, your foam that can subsequently uh, introduce or you can engineer oil-loving uh, chemistry to it. The Coast Guard was really interested in oil absorption below the surface of the water. According to Ed Barry, the material has a good absorption capacity, made better by the fact that the sponge can be used again and again. In terms of the surface absorption, the way that all of these materials are typically characterized is in terms of an absorption capacity. So. If I give you a gram of foam or I give you a gram of absorbent material, how many grams of oil do you get back? 
And so in our case, we have uh, 30 grams per gram. So what that means is that if I give you a gram of our foam or if I give you a pound of our foam, you'll absorb 30 grams of oil or you'll absorb uh, 30 pounds of oil. So you get, you know, 30, roughly a factor of 30. So the best type materials are on the, or, uh, on the order of, say, 100. And so what's different about ours is that even though we're a bit less than that, uh, 100 versus 30, Ours is reusable, so if you reuse it three times, you're already uh, upwards of and very close to 100. So how much of this material is needed to address an average spill? In the same way that you don't need a mop that's the size of your kitchen floor when you spill something, you don't need an enormous sponge to absorb an entire area of an oil spill. Barry and his team have imagined a variety of form factors and shapes for the foam. So in terms of the sponge, uh, one of the things we've always imagined is you know, wildlife covered in oil, uh, to actually use it like a sponge and to sit there and scrub. In the case of oil on the surface of water, uh, you're probably deploying pads and the equivalent of just throwing it out in the water, uh, extracting it back, uh, wringing it out, and throwing it back out again. But oil may not be all that the oleo sponge can soak up. The other part that's really exciting is that you can modify the chemistry accordingly and that we could potentially change this and start to do, introduce other specificities, uh, start to absorb other things, start to filter things, uh, start to use this as a separation material. And so we think it's a way that you can start to make uh, sponges that like certain materials. So in this case, it likes oil, but can you make it something that selectively absorbs, you know, just water in an oil-based environment? Or even, you know, in comparison of the kitchen sponge, can you make a sponge that selectively absorbs all of the soap uh, where it leaves just the water. You know, can you make a sponge that actually is able to selectively absorb nuclear-based components, contaminants, uh, and effectively clean water streams? If it in any way reached that sort of potential, uh, that would be that would be great. While high-tech sponges like Oleo and Xstat require complex engineering, some absorbent materials exist in nature and require no modification at all. In an effort to prepare for changing sea levels and flooding, cities across the world are absorbing a new concept, the sponge city. By retrofitting urban landscapes with self-absorbing surfaces and infrastructures that are literally greener, China's Sponge City Initiative aims to have 80% of urban areas taking in and reusing at least 70% of rainwater. Take the city of Lingang, a planned city in Shanghai. Instead of the usual concrete which diverts the natural flow of water, Lingang is building rooftops covered by plant life, a natural way to store water during heavy rainfall. And it's not just China exploring the sponge city concept. Cities from Pittsburgh to Berlin are rethinking their designs and finding innovative ways to manage their rainwater. I think this is a big shift that you're seeing in cities over the last, let's say, uh, 15 to 20 years is that they're seeing themselves more as a sponge and less as a funnel. This is Michael Berkowitz, president of 100 Resilient Cities, a nonprofit started by the Rockefeller Foundation in 2013. His organization's goal is to help strengthen cities across the world as they face a variety of challenges, from water and energy shortages to flood control infrastructures. A flood on the Mississippi River in the 90s demonstrated to Berkowitz how cities might need to retain water, rather than using pumps and pipes to divert it. This use of gray infrastructure was standard practice at the time. Uh, there was a massive flood on the Mississippi River in 1993. And the Army Corps of Engineers was responsible for, you know, most of flood control up and down the Mississippi. 
rather than letting the water overtop the banks and spill out into farmlands and green spaces along the river, because the river had become so built up, the core had put so much, you know, gray infrastructure, it had funneled more and more uh, water downstream in a way that made the flood even worse for those downstream communities. And so in my mind, and this is sort of the first time this idea, and especially in the U.S., has gotten any traction. Um, and you're starting to see um, cities uh, uh, embrace this more and more because they understand the benefits of the green infrastructure and the sponge uh, are greater than the benefits of just the gray, uh, hard infrastructure. Berkowitz says the biggest example of the sponge city can perhaps be seen in Singapore a small island with a scarcity of fresh water. To help the country achieve its goal of capturing 100% of its rainwater, the Marina Barrage was built in 2008. By sealing off the Singapore River from the ocean, the dam creates a freshwater lake in the heart of the country, one with spongy gardens by the bay. Berkowitz has seen a variety of neighborhood examples as well. In the Netherlands, Rotterdam's Zoho District water park is filled with green gardens and roofs to serve as a stormwater retention facility in wet times and a soccer field, community theater, and meeting place in dry times. Rainwater, floodwater, stormwater, wastewater, these all used to be the enemy. The idea of soaking it all in is still a relatively new one for cities. Cities want to not get rid of all the you know, water that they have, but rather to retain it. Um, but that is antithetical to the way engineers, uh, public works department, and city planners have been trained over the years. So that you know we're starting to see this idea take hold, um, but it is one that uh, because of the way cities are built, changed, and evolved over you know not just a year or two, but you know a decade or a generation. It's going to be a long time before the world cities really embrace that as a full concept uh, and implement it. Naturally absorbent materials help cities and environments around the world and the people living in them. A lot of people die from gunshot wounds worldwide every year, but a lot more women die of bleeding to death after childbirth. Postpartum hemorrhage. Here's John Steinbaugh again, who sees additional ideas for his XTAT device. We are laser focused on saving lives. You know, stopping bleeding is, is why the you know the company was founded. You know, we're we're completely dedicated to how do we save more lives. We're working on modifying our technology to be used for postpartum hemorrhage. Uh, because our technology is so easy to use, it's very easy to put in the hands of uh, a midwife, you know, in Kenya, you know, that's out in the middle of nowhere that could be used to, to save somebody's life or buy them time to get them to definitive treatment at a hospital. The sponge has managed to play an important role in society since the ancient Egyptians and Greeks. And it is increasingly valuable today as we tackle a variety of challenges in the modern era. Our inventors today see the sponge helping mothers in Africa, medics on the battlefield, wounded soldiers, wildlife after an oil spill, and inhabitants of a flooded city. In the times of ancient Egypt, the sponge was considered sacred. In the 50s, it was a defective manufacturing result. <laughs> 
Today, the sponge is being used in new ways to solve everyday problems. Just don't call it simple. This has been an episode of Here's an Idea. I'm Billy Hurley for Tech Briefs Media. For more news about innovative technologies, you can follow our stories every day at techbriefs.com. Here's an idea. Send us feedback to feedback at techbriefs.com and let us know what inventions you'd like to hear more about. <laughs>